Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, my friends, to today's episode. We're in chapter number 14 of the book of Jeremiah. Hope you'll follow along or at least listen carefully as we dive right back into the Word of God. Uh, Watch what it says in verse number one. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. So the specific message that we're going to look at in chapter 14 surrounds a a, a drought that takes place. As a matter of fact, the, the word is, is plural. It's a series of droughts, uh, perhaps representing several different seasons and years in which God is getting the attention of his people through physical means. So last chapter, we talked about a couple signs, like the sign of that belt or the sign of those wine bottles. But in chapter 14, God is using nature and he's using uh, the rain cycle or the lack of rain, I should say, to get the attention of his people. And this should not surprise us because this was part of what God had promised, or or I might better say what he had warned uh, back in the book of Deuteronomy. Remember the blessings and the cursings? And one of the curses uh, that the people of God had rehearsed that they knew was if we turn from God, if we decide to become idolatrous, then God is going to get our attention through turning the rain off by affecting our agriculture. And that's exactly what's happening here. So the fact is, if God said nothing, if Jeremiah was given no word from God, the drought itself should be a message to God's people. Uh, But they're hard-hearted and they're dull-witted. They're not seeing it. Look at verse number two, where it says, Judah mourneth and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. So things are really bad. This drought has made things really bad, and it's made the people really sad. Verse number three, and their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits, in other words, to the place where you store water, and they found no water and returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. So this is the really, really critical point. Because understand that uh, around the nation of Israel, water is stored in these huge cisterns. And when I say huge, it's just hard to even explain how big they are. If you ever come with me on an Israel trip, I'll show you several of them. And they are absolutely humongous. We'll go to one in Megiddo. We'll go to one in a place called Hatsur. We'll go to another one if we get down there. Some We don't do this on every trip, but a place in Beersheba. But, but every city had them. Huge, huge cisterns so that when the water came, it could be stored uh, and these huge cisterns and last for a long time. Even 
you could survive a year or two of drought. Why? Because those cisterns could hold so much water. Now, it wouldn't be, wouldn't taste as good, uh, the water in a cistern, uh, than, than just fresh rainwater or river water, but it was water nonetheless. Now, if the cistern ran dry, then you knew you were dealing with a prevailing drought. Then you knew that things were getting really bad. Now you're really out of resources because the rain's not coming and you've exhausted your man-made ability to retain what blessings you could from last year or the year before. So that's what it's saying here in verse number three, that the nobles have sent their little ones, they sent their boys out to go get some water, and the boys have come back and said, Dad, uh, there's no water left. So the Bible says now they're ashamed and confounded. To be confounded means I have no answers. What are we going to do now? We can't produce water. This is not like Egypt where we have the Nile River. And God actually told them that when they left Egypt. This is going to be different. You're going to have to rely upon me. Well, now there's no water. What are we going to do? Well, watch how the situation continues to be described in verse number four. Because the ground is chapped. But when there's no water for a while, the ground gets hard and and cracked. It's chapped. For there was no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. And now we can't plow the fields. We can't prepare for a harvest. We can't prepare even to plant. Why? Because the ground is dry. It's chapped. We can't, we, we have no hope of any crops this year. Verse number five, yea, the hind, uh, we would say today the deer, the hind also calved in the field. So here's a deer giving birth to its young out in the field, but watch this, and they forsook it because there was no grass. So here is a deer, a doe that's giving birth to its its fawn, and it just leaves it. It intuitively knows that there's no way that I can provide for this fawn. There's no grass. Uh, probably the, the doe itself is so depleted that it can't even milk its young. And so it's giving birth and it's rejecting its own child. How bad must the drought be for this to happen? In verse number six, and the wild donkeys did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons, a dragon that describes like the jackal dog of the wilderness. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. So one of the hardiest beasts of Israel was the wild donkey. They could survive almost anything. And yet the Bible says things are so bad that the wild donkeys can't even survive, that the deer are forsaking their young, that the children of the nobles are going to the cisterns and there's nothing there. A drought is affecting every social strata. It's affecting man and beast alike. It's affecting the land and the people. I mean, it is so pervasive as a judgment that it literally touches everything. This is all going on and God's allowing it. Why? Because this is a way by which people will turn their attention toward God. That's exactly what God said. If they're not going to listen to the word of God, then God is going to allow other ways to come into their life situations and negative circumstances that will then rattle them. 
and cause them to seek God in a way perhaps that they have not been seeking him. Look at verse number seven. O Lord. So here finally is the prayer of God's people. They're finally waking up. They've been trying to live off of their hoarded resources. They've been trying to do it themselves. They've been slow to repent and slow to come to God. But now in verse seven, they're finally praying and watch what happens. Oh Lord, though our iniquities testify against us. So what does that say? That says they know why they're suffering. They know why things have turned for the worse. They know why the drought is there. Our iniquities are testifying against us. Well, that's a good thing. It's always good in repentance to see the reason why, and to see that I am the cause of. So the Bible says here, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. Lord, we're not asking you to forgive us because we deserve it, but Lord, for your own name's sake, uh, please deliver us. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. All of this sounds really, really good. This sounds like true repentance because indeed, repentance is a matter of recognizing sin. It's a matter of recognizing the, the direction of sin. And the direction of sin is always toward God. We have sinned against you. Uh, this is a sin against your word, against your uh, against your worship. We have done wrong. This all sounds really good. Look at verse number eight. Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble. Those are great titles for God. For indeed, he is the hope of Israel. He is our Savior. Uh, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Lord, don't be a stranger. Lord, don't be one that just passes through. Lord, we're your people. You're our God. We don't want you just to visit us. We don't want you just to stop for a season and then move on. Lord, we need you here. We need you to stay. Again, this prayer sounds so right. Verse number nine, why shouldest thou be as a man astonished or astonished? They're speaking to the Lord as a mighty man that cannot save. Lord, you're not like somebody that that is just a spectator, someone that's just looking on that has all the power to do something about it, but you're just willing to sit on the sidelines. Don't be that person. Look at verse number nine again. Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us. Lord, you're our God. You're here among us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. Lord, you have the power. Uh, you, have, uh, you have the ability to do something about this. Lord, don't leave. Uh, don't just watch. Don't just visit. Oh, God, do something. We're wrong. You're right. We've backslidden. We've sinned against you. That's why we're going through all of this horrible drought and famine. Oh, God, please. Does that sound like good repentance? It certainly does. It sounds like God's people have seen it for what it is. The drought has served its purpose in rattling their attention. They've prayed this great, sincere prayer of repentance and now, God, what will you do about this? I think you'll be surprised. Uh, we're going to come back to verse number 10 tomorrow. Got, got no time today to delve into the next section. So we're going to stop right there for now. We'll come back to verse number 10 next episode. 
Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.